Well, good morning. Happy Easter. Nice to see y'all. Everybody doing all right? Doing good. Good to hear. Who's excited for a little brunch later? I uh, hauled about 300 cinnamon rolls in my car to the church yesterday, and luckily I had my wife there to keep me in line and not touch them, so there's still 300 there unless Josh got a hold of them. Good to be with y'all today. If you want to stand, um, if you don't know, this is Easter uh, Easter Sunday, and uh, there's a little song we got, and uh, we'll tell a little story. It goes like this. You'll know it. God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. He came to love. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Let's hear it because He lives. Because He day in history. Death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. The empty cross, the empty grave. Life eternal, you have won the day. Shout it out, Jesus is alive. And oh, happy day, 
Happy day, you wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day, I'll never be the same. What a glorious day, what a glorious way that you have saved me. And oh, what a glorious day, what a glorious night. Wash my sin away. Oh, happy day, happy day. I'll never be the same. Forever I am saved. I'll never be the same. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you've done to accomplish your own praise through us. You've done a mighty work. And thank you. All we can do is say thank you and give you the praise that you are worthy of. We could not come to your heights. We couldn't get off the ground. So you came to the ground and you brought us up with you in your resurrection. Thank you. Thank you. May you receive much glory today from your church worldwide. And may we do the same here until the day that we do it in your kingdom. As your people, you are God. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen.
Death was once my great opponent. Fear once had a hold on me. But the son who died to save us rose that we would be free indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's try that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. That's better. That wake you up a little bit? It's the first time you probably heard me scream ever, isn't it? Well, I think it is a well-deserved shout, actually, because we have been on a long journey. Um, and I'll just mark it back, uh, place marker, about two years ago where we just went into a space where we didn't know what the outcome would be. And if you have had any, any awareness at all about what's happening in the world, I don't think the world even knew what the outcome would be. And yet when we gather in this room, there is something about this space that just changes everything regarding our relationship to what is happening out there. And I don't know if you discovered that in the last couple of years, but I know I certainly have. And as we've moved into a season where we've returned post-pandemic and we've thought about what our faith really means in light of a world that is coming apart at the seams, it has been good to be able to explore alongside Jesus that message from 21 centuries ago, 21 centuries. Can you imagine? 
how could that even be relevant? But there is something about Jesus that is perennially fresh. And we're celebrating that today. Well, before we get into that part of it, I, I do want to uh, just do customary uh, prayer concerns and praises so that we can um, lift up one another because time goes on, life goes on, and lives are hurting or people have burdens, and we want to certainly bring that before the Lord as well. And I uh, want to mention especially Rich uh, and Debbie Vogt, uh, they have a, a niece that was life flighted to Akron who, had a, who went into a diabetic coma. Uh, her name is um, uh, uh, Ariel, so we need to keep Ariel lifted up uh, because it's a critical moment for her. And I just wondering if there's anything you guys have on your hearts today that we can bring before the Lord as we think about the power of the resurrection and the ability for Christ to receive our prayers and act on them as he is seated on the throne now. Anyone have anything? John? Yes, uh, Monday I'll be celebrating our 58th wedding anniversary. 58 years. Wow. So that's... No kidding. Wow. Well, you know what? That's why I was gonna I was gonna actually reframe this as a prayer concern for Peg. But we'll just go with that, okay? Alright, well, I I appreciate the humility you have in recognizing that shortcoming. Okay, any, anyone else? Yes, young lady. <laughs> My name is Angie McGuire. Angie McGuire? She had an accident. Okay. Oh, my. She's okay, but okay. she's got a bump and Okay. And the other gentleman that kicked her. Okay. She, she died, but they're fine. Mm. Okay. Prayers for Angie McGuire, who's life flighted uh, to uh, where? St. Ease. St. Ease, but is doing better. So thankfully, thank the Lord. Diane? Oh, my. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Pray for Gail Hill, who's been going through chemo for quite a while now. And uh, the report is, hasn't been favorable lately. So we want to lift her up and ask God to perform a miracle there. And just hope that uh, in the process, um, he will be glorified in whatever way this, this turns out. Okay. All right, Pat. Jaylene Sheen. Okay. So, okay. Did you say Jamie? Okay, Jaylene. Okay. Right. Well, this is not just for you guys, but for people online. So, Jaylene Sheen's been in a coma, you said? I'm so stuck on trying to re get her name right. So we'll reset that one more time. So if you guys have patience. He's weak and can't walk. Okay. 
so we can nausea and, and vomit, okay. All right? We got a busy set of prayer concerns here, and perhaps one of our most active people in our church standing right now. What, what is on your mind, Twyla? just keep going and going and going. Your testimony to the strength of the Lord. Do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Okay. Wow. Let's go ahead and just take that and we'll, we'll bring it before the Lord so that he can receive it and act on it according to his will. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, as we just bundle all of these prayer concerns that we have mentioned, uh, we pray, Father, that you would be at work in each and every one of them. Uh, we thank you, Father, for being faithful in the past, and that because of the resurrection, we can come before your throne, Lord Jesus, and see you also not only as our king, but as our great high priest, who is interceding on our behalf. And Lord Jesus, please just take these concerns that we have mentioned in each case, we pray that you would be seen and that the, the cries of their hearts would be heard and you would act in a way that would glorify your name and, and lead to joy in the lives of everyone that we've mentioned. We thank you, Father, for being able to gather today. It's a special day, Lord, and we are trusting you to speak through us, one another, through myself as we um, just take the substance of everything that we've, we've been consuming in your word and in the story, and um, we turn it back into an expression of praise. May your blessing be upon the word. May your blessing be upon lives that are celebrating milestones and those who are here because Jesus has risen. And we thank you, Father, and we just lift these things up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we um, uh, take this kind of final moment in our Lent journey, and we actually use it as a pivot into something um, that involves just the, the substance of the message and how we express it to the lives of the people around us, um, that will be the next adventure for First Christian Church as we're going through this. Now, a lot of you guys have gone through um, our, our Lent study. How many of you have gone through this, hopefully, Good, that's a good show of hands. Um, this has been our way of taking the word and applying it to our lives daily and looking at the story of Jesus and seeing now where we're at in that timeline of the telling of his life here on earth. And I don't know about you, but it makes today especially meaningful because we've come so far through so many personal things in the last few years but also through the experience of just attending to his word, attending to the stories in Luke, attending to our devotional time. And one of the things that we especially wanted to accomplish during Holy Week was to help you experience in the, in the way that we can through our, our imagination and through just re-dramatizing it, what Jesus went through in that last week. 
And if you're here Friday, I know some of you couldn't make it, but if you're here Friday, it was a very somber experience. And Rich really brought to sharp clarity what happened there. And the reason why we are here is partly because of what happened there. But the way the Bible presents what happens there is it bundles into the cross an empty tomb. And Paul says, if it wasn't for the resurrection of Jesus, we would be most pitiable of all people and dead in our sins. And it's his way of saying, you have to bundle together the excruciating experience of Jesus on the cross who took the curse, took our sins, and everything that he was called to do, he faithfully fulfilled so that all righteousness could be expressed through that dramatic act. And if he was just left in that space, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be in this room today. And there were people who wanted to keep him there in the worst possible way. And as they were conspiring to do that, the thing that upset them most was the fact that Jesus was claiming to be king. And every four years, we go into a a season where people are at odds with one another because one person likes this party and another person likes that party. And I'm talking about the presidential election. And when you think about that person, the reason why it's like everything is at stake is because that person will determine the outcome of the next four years in deeply profound ways. But I think what happened the last two years was that allegiance that we had to those figures took kind of a second place or even lesser to the allegiance that we have to the one who determines the outcome of it all, who changes everything. And there is something significant that happened during Holy Week that culminates in the first day of the week today that changes every aspect of our life here on earth. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? But if you... uh, Read this quote from C.S. Lewis. I think it summarizes really well what is going on in this drama that we call the gospel. The New Testament writers speak as if Christ's achievement in rising from the dead was the first event of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He has forced open a door that has been locked since the death of the first man. He has met, fought, and beaten the king of death, and everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Now, that's what C.S. Lewis said a number of years ago, and I don't think it's really anything new for people that have been tracking with Jesus from the very beginning. They knew there was something different that happened. A person would say, I was in this place, and then I met him, and then my life changed. And there are some people who look at their experience with Jesus as a life-changing moment, 
And there are other people that look at their experience with Jesus as, yeah, who is he? And what has he done? And what has he done for me lately? And if you'll notice behind me, you not only see the image of the cross, but you see silhouetted two other crosses. And I think as we read the story, they're representative of what is going on in the lives and minds of people. Because on the one side is a guy who looks at Jesus and says, you're just a loser like the rest of us. How that, how that worked for you, Jesus being the Messiah, the King. And here you are. And all he could think of was, that guy Jesus doesn't count for much. And then there was another guy who looked at Jesus and he saw something that went far beyond the circumstances that he found himself in. He saw the other side in the eyes of Jesus. And all he could say when he saw that was, remember me when you get there. Remember me when you get there. And Jesus looked back at him with eyes of compassion. And I'll just stop for a minute because I'm not very compassionate whenever I'm not feeling well. I'm not compassionate when I'm hurting. I'm not compassionate when I'm tired. My, my, my patience runs really thin. And yet there's something about Jesus hanging on the cross. And if you heard the horrifying description that Rich gave on Friday, how as he hung, he had, to, he had to push up to breathe because that was the only way he could get breath. And when he did, it was agonizing and excruciating. And in that painful series of breaths that just prolonged for hour upon hour, he saw this person and said, you are why I came. Only Jesus. And I think those two images actually can represent where you and I are at. And we are either one or the other. You know why? Because Jesus is a polarizing figure. You either love Jesus because he is lovable, or you hate him because he is hateable. And where do I get that information from? If you've been going through this story, you find that there were really two postures towards him. One was... We are celebrating you because you are the Messiah and you have healed people and you've shown compassion and you've shown us a side of God that we haven't heard from those religious people. And there are people who are looking at Jesus and saying, he's a threat. He is upending everything that we've established. And in their minds, they're also thinking he's upending everything that I have established in gaining this position of power or authority or respect or esteem. And I hate him. I hate him. And that really was the conclusion. Now, some of us may be here because we're sort of on the fence. We're not sure. Jesus is kind of likable. He's a good guy. seems like a good guy. I've heard a little bit about him, and he's done some good things, and I know he's died for me and stuff. And I'm not really convinced either way whether or not I'm on board with him or not. But the fact of the matter is, he can never be just likable. 
He has to be one or the other because once you get to know him, you find that there is something there. There is a weight, a gravity of love and grace and almost otherworldliness. That if that's the thing that you're looking for in a world that offers no good answers, you're drawn into him. And I, I know there are many of you, and I would include myself, I had a version of Jesus two years ago that I brought to church with me every Sunday. And then I went through what you guys went through the last two years. And I had to replace that version because I discovered a Jesus that was much deeper, much more profoundly the answer to life's biggest questions and greatest concerns I discovered in the contrastive experience of going through the pretty hellish experience that we went through, that Jesus was always faithful, and he was always there just a prayer away to help you and I to have a peace that passes all understanding. And what was interesting for me as a pastor was to look at the faces of the people around me. And I would see, when we all came back, there was a lot of fear and apprehension on our faces. But I saw that begin to change into something more like a demeanor that didn't make sense in light of what you'd been through out there. A demeanor that had a peace and a joy. And a settled contentment that was not from this world. And I, I knew you were discovering a newer, better version of the Jesus that perhaps you worshiped for a very long time. And there's so many encounters that happen in the scripture between Jesus and people that are just moving into that space where they're making that decision. You know, in, in John 9 and 10, it talks about a guy that was blind and how he was encountered by Jesus and how he, well, had his life transformed, his sins forgiven and his sight restored. And there was a pattern of response, and it went something like this. I was, then Jesus, now I'm. And if you consider that for a minute, maybe before Jesus became somebody that you grew to love, you were like me. You were a person who was living in fear, anxiety, uncertainty, brokenness. I was all those things. But then Jesus shows up through his word, through the lives of other people, through something inside of them that said, there's a reality that I exist in that contains the presence of Jesus, and I want you to know him. And so Jesus came alive. And like the man who was born blind, he just said, I was blind, I met Jesus, now I see. 
And what's so cool about that is how when Paul bundles together the cross and the resurrection in that statement and at the ending of 1 Corinthians 15, the man born blind had his sins forgiven. And then he saw. And there's something about being made right with God and then having your life start to find restoration. And some of you may be saying, well, I'm here at church this Easter I had to go. Hey, the only time I ever went to church as a kid, Easter. The only thing I looked forward to was the food afterwards. So if you're there, I get it. But some things happened along the way where he showed up. And when he did, it was kind of the same pattern that seemed to happen over and over. I was broken, a mess, fearful, struggling, back against a wall, addicted, whatever. He showed up. And everything changed. But then some of you are saying, why are we praying for somebody who really wants to be healed? We hope that she would be healed, and then she wasn't. She's getting a diagnosis that may or may not go in a good direction. It's really up to the Lord. But you know what I found? Is the reality of the resurrection changes things. It's subtle, but you see it. And what I found is when we go through pain, because we will have pain until Jesus comes back and says, it is finished completely. Creation has been renewed and restored. Until then, we live in that moment of in-between time. And we have heartache and disappointment and brokenness and death and diagnosis that we don't want to hear and outcomes that just break our hearts and people around us who walk away from the faith, and so many things happen. You know, I sometimes wonder if, they, if, a, if, a, if a visitor from another planet came and just looked at planet Earth for a minute or two. You know what I think they would say? Those people are haunted. They're haunted. There's something not right down something scary happening down there. Those people are not in a good place. I really believe that would be the assessment. Now, and as a kid, we used to go into houses and we'd say they're haunted. We'd get that creepy, eebie-jeebie feeling, you know, maybe you've done that. Ah, but to live in a whole planet where that is just happening all the time, so much so that we're like, yeah, I don't think much about it anymore. But every time we bring our brokenness before the Lord, the Lord somehow works in it in such a way that he is glorified through it. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, Jesus, I thought it would either go this way or this way, but you kind of have a plan C. It went that way. And as I look backwards, I'm thanking you for that moment of trial that I went through because you actually took me out of that haunted state and you brought me into a place where I'm just totally at peace. There's something about Jesus. You either love him or you hate him. And that really is what our scripture is going to point us to today because I want to just ask a couple of questions. What happened? And then why does it matter? 
So in Matthew 27, we read these, we read these words. The crucifixion has occurred. Saturday's over, Friday's over, and now it's Sunday morning. And toward the, toward the dawn of the day, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And all four Gospels say this. Those ladies were there. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards, well, it says they trembled and became like dead men. Let's just be honest, they passed out. But the angel said to the woman, what do angels say to people when they show up? Fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. What did the angel say to the guards? Nothing. (laughs) You know why? Because they weren't anticipating what was coming. They weren't hopeful. They weren't expectant. And so it's kind of like, yeah, you better be afraid. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen. I love how you chimed in on that. As he said, as he said, numerous times in Matthew, he gave him a bunch of clues along the way. Hey, guys, going to come a day, and I'm going to die, but oh, it's going to get good on the other side. Yeah, yeah, Jesus Hey, what's over there? It's a taco stand. And it's kind of like they're just not really processing what he was saying until all of a sudden it happened and he's dead. And they're like, oh, we didn't see this coming. <laughs> Isn't that just the way people are? We didn't see it coming. I didn't know. I mean, I used to tell my mom that all the time. Now I just tell my wife that. She just rolls her eyes. You knew. Then he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And where are the disciples? They're cowering somewhere. They're hiding. They're scared. They're uncertain. They don't know what just happened. They didn't see it coming. They didn't know, but, well, maybe, maybe my mom and Mandy have been hanging out with Mary Magdalene. I don't know. And behold, he is going before you. Uh, to Galilee, there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from uh, from the tomb with fear and great joy. So they had that culmination, and they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers, you know, those ones hiding up there in that room where nobody can see them. Tell them to go to Galilee. And there they'll see me. You notice something here weird? All these people betrayed him. Judas, and then they just started falling like dominoes. Even Peter said, don't know him. Don't know him. Don't know him. And these were called apostles. 
But what's so interesting is this side of the resurrection, what are they called? Brothers and, and sisters. And he's saying, you are part of my family. I had a text from a friend at another church, and he said, he is risen. We always do this exchange. And I said, he is risen indeed. Isn't it wonderful to be a part of a forever family? Forever family. Means that likelihood of us dying here on earth, that's going to happen. But I don't mind preaching funerals for people that have been faithful to the Lord and they're going to a place where, well, they're no longer living on the haunted planet. But they're waiting for that haunted planet to be restored. But it is groaning still, Paul says in Romans 8. And Jesus, knowing that this is the beginning of the change, and it starts with a family. I, I look at all you guys. We've had wonderful conversations. We've had trying conversations. But I got to tell you, we will have forever conversations. Unbelievable. Something has changed. Well, that's kind of what happened here. And as we explore that for a second, um, why does it matter? I've been wrestling with this all week. Why does it matter? Because you guys are here and you're like, it's Easter, we got to be at church. But why does it matter? And I, I, I really think it matters because I was, Jesus is, and now I'm, something changes. Something changed in me. Something changed in many of you. And I anticipate that the more people who come to love Jesus rather than to love Jesus rather than hate him, you'll find that you're changed too. And I hold that anything that you commit your life to, your time and your energy and attention to, it will define you. Even if you say, I believe in Jesus, if you spend more time attending to something else other than Jesus in terms of devotion and priority, I'm not saying you got to be at church 24-7. I'm just saying that he has to be on your mind. And you have to talk to him throughout the day. And you have to sometimes confess your sins. And sometimes you have to say, Lord, help me. And sometimes you're just praising him changes you and Jesus looks at each of us and he's asking each of us a question do you believe do you believe he even asked his disciples that question and one of the responses I think was the best ever and it was simply Lord I believe but help me in my unbelief because the haunted planet does the best that it can to trick you into thinking that he's really not worth your time. That at best he's likable. But it doesn't work that way. He's either Lord or he's not. Because you know where he's at right now? 
If you went through the devotional, you know that he went to be at the side of the Father. He sat down on the throne. His name is Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Not, hey, it's look in the phone directory. Where, where, how do I find, how do I get a hold of Jesus? Well, just look up Christ and then you'll find, you'll look up all the Christ and then you'll see him right there, Jesus. No, that's not his name. His name is Jesus the King because he is seated on the throne and he's overseeing the haunted planet and he's saying, I'm not going to force myself on, I'm not going to coerce you, I'm not going to make you do this, I'm not going to socially shame you into doing it, I'm not going to do all these things that force your decision where you have no choice but to do it whether you want to do it or not. I'm going to let you decide. I'm going to let you decide because it is only under those conditions that's the only way I want to relate to you as a father or son. And I don't know about you, but I was, and then Jesus, now I'm different. Why do I say it like that? Because it has to do with your story and my story. Well, I, I preach a lot of funerals from the pulpit that we put there for the funeral. And it's always the story of the person. And my big question is, how much did Jesus play a role in that person's life? Because the more I can comp wrap my mind around that, the more at ease I am in sharing with that person or that family that remains. We know where they're at. We know where they're at. And a lot of times, it doesn't even have to be like an intellectual thing. It's just in the air. You know it. But I've preached funerals for people that Jesus was not even a thing, not even likable, maybe didn't even hate him, just didn't want him. And I look out at the faces of the people, and I know it's not there. It is not there. And I think, and I don't mean this pejoratively, these are the most pitiable of all people because they don't know the king. They don't know their savior. They don't even have a category for death. All they're wondering about is how much is it going to cost? Do we cremate them or do we put them in the ground? They don't really know what to do beyond that. And Jesus says, I do. And your story is kind of like this, who you were before Jesus, who you became when you met him, and now the life that I live. A couple of people have kind of surfaced in this, and there's been a lot of people in this story that we've been going through. One of them is Rachel, and I've just seen the Lord do something in your life that's been pretty amazing. And the other one's Rich. I baptized Rich. Did I baptize you? I thought so. <laughs> he had to look like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and I'm like, well, he's got a better memory than I do. And I've just seen something happen. Because they were, then Jesus, then the story changed. Now the life that they lived 
in the life that many of you live, it's reprioritized around something that has to do with the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. It has redefined your lives. Now, I don't know where your story is because it can go one of two ways. It can go this way or this way. And Matthew's pretty good about showcasing those options because the next thing that we read has to do with how that happens. I'm just going to jump right into verse 11. While they were going, or meanwhile back at the ranch, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of, what, where's this going? Gave a sufficient sum of money to the soul. Uh, does this fit the storyline? Um, and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while, he, while we were asleep. We're soldiers. We were sleeping. That's going to go over well, isn't it? Hey, what were you guys doing during your watch? Uh, sleeping? Well, heads in that era tend to detach when that happens. And the chief priests know it. This is a big deal. Tell people his disciples stole him and you were asleep. You, you, you took a, uh, a nighttime cold medicine. And, and if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him too. Keep you guys out of trouble. Isn't that an interesting way things work on the haunted planet? You got some power, you want something done, you give people some money. And they'll get done. Everybody has a price, right? Sell your soul. Everybody has a price. And God even acknowledges that when he shows us the story about a guy who said, I've got a price. And then says, hmm, but it wasn't worth it. And we know that person. Why is it that, of all places, the religious people are the most haunting of all? I'll tell you why. It's because they forget their story. They forget why they're there. They get seduced by whatever they want to order their lives around. And these guys, they like the public accolades. They like the power. They like the control that they had over other people. They like to be able to leverage the word of God against you. If you weren't working well, they would quote a scripture and they would make you feel shame. You ever have that happen to you? Somebody, you do something not right and somebody quotes a Bible at you and just kind of weaponizes it? Well, these guys... Well, soldier said, all right, we'll take the money. We're going to do what you say. And then the story has been spread to the Jews to this day. Here's what I think is going on. There's something about Jesus that's polarizing. You either love him or you hate him at the end of the day. And there are people that go to great lengths to delete him out. They've got a delete button. Every time they say, deleted, 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 deleted. But the thing is, you can't delete somebody that raises from the dead. You just can't. 
they're perennially there. They've broken all the rules. You can't get rid of them. And what we do is we try to delete him. Why? Because I like what I like. I like this quote. I'm going to go back to the Wolfhart Pannenberg quote, where he says the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it, except for two things. First, it's a very unusual event. If you read through the Gospels, it's told four different ways. In some ways, it sounds a little convoluted. The second thing, in that day, no offense to you women in the room, but if you were a female and you were given testimony, people would say, nah, nothing count for nothing. And yet the Gospels say the very first people that witnessed Jesus were who? Females. Now, if I were going to try to argue with, you know, Harvard-educated people that, hey, the resurrection is real because those females said it was, again, no offense, it's a different place on the timeline. They <laughs> would just go, that's ridiculous. Next. I mean, there's so many weird things about the resurrection story that if you were trying to just create a propaganda campaign, everybody's like, oh, that's plausible, that makes sense. It's wonky. It's kind of clunky. It's not really well told. Not disrespecting the Bible. And what do you make of people that checked out, even Peter, and then all of a sudden, despite the threat of death and being crucified like the one that they just saw murdered, they go out of boldness. There's something that got a hold of them, and they are crazy. But it's not just them. There's like 3,000 people eventually that are crazy. There's 500 of them initially that are crazy. And even sociologists will say, yeah, sometimes mob psychology causes people to behave in a certain way, but they will say there is no historical analog between what happened in that telling and some other religion that got off the ground in some similar way. There's just... There's no precedent for it. What happened? They were this. They were apostles. And then betrayers. Then Jesus. And now brothers and sisters. You ever get scared to come to church because lightning bolts are going to come through the ceiling because... You know God's just looking at you and saying, you really don't belong here. But there's something about the cross bundled into the empty tomb that says you absolutely do belong here. We got work to do, but I can assure you, you're why I came. And there's nothing like it. You know, the two people, as I close, one group of people said, I'm not changing my mind because Jesus is, he's disruptive. I can't have him. He's inconvenient. We've mapped out our lives just the way we want them. We don't have a space for him. But the fact of the matter is, there's a heavy weight of authority going towards the fact that it did happen. 
I mean, we can't even, we have to bribe people to say, hey, it didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. We have to force them to say, hey, it didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. Because he is not convenient. But on haunted planet, that would be expected to be a response. But in the hearts of a hopeful people of a new creation, that doesn't make any sense. And I just want to leave here with just an appeal to the hope of heaven, to Jesus. On the right, you have the fellow that says, remember me. Well, actually, be Jesus is right. Remember me. On the left, you got a guy that says, another long, boring sermon. I'm glad he's done. But it's only eyes of faith, a posture of humility, a willingness to trade your brokenness, for the life and the life eternal that he offers. I mean, he really is wanting us to upgrade our lives. He really wants to cast the demons out of the, out of the haunted house. He really wants to see flowers growing all the time. I mean, honestly, let's just be real. This spring has been evidence of the haunted planet, right? Flowers come up, winter says, Bam, no, we're not having that. Flowers come back up. Winter says, bam. But you know what? There ain't no power like a resurrection power because a resurrection power never stops. Those flowers will be back. And alongside them, I'm praying you and I as well. What you guys are going to look like. Now, John will be awesome because, you know, John is awesome. It won't matter. But the rest of us, what's the upgrade going to look like? Well, that's another sermon. And I just want to close and I want us to go before the throne that he is now seated at and I want us to pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good, and you are so kind, and you are so patient. And what you went through is indescribable. We cannot even find language to express where we are at with what you've done for us. But we know your heart was to see through a bloodstained cross and tears that are stored up in a bottle to see people who are languishing to be made whole again, to see people who are trapped in their shame and their guilt, to be able to look at God face to face through you, Lord Jesus, to find in the challenges of life every day a strength that doesn't answer it the way we expect, but answers it in the way that brings glory to you and our hearts closer to you. We don't understand that, Lord, but we know that you are at work in this world 
You are taking the haunting and you are replacing it with cleansing and peace and grace and everything that you've intended for us to be to begin with. Break down the wall of lies that perhaps keep us from loving you and lead us to a space where we find in you who we were supposed to be to begin with. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I just pray that the words that have been expressed today are honorable to your purposes. In Jesus' name. As we gather here today at the Last Supper, here's where it all started. With bread and cup and a promise. This bread and this cup is about that body and that blood. This bread and this cup is about a new covenant between God and you. It is about righteousness, not given. I mean given, not earned. It's about God giving the sin problem, fixing the sin problem once and for all. This bread and this cup is about how he so loved the world. It's about his faithful forgiveness. It's about his grace. This bread and this cup is about no more condemnation. It's about remembering your sins are forgiven. This bread and this cup is about how everything is now moving towards how it's supposed to be. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he gave the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you thanking you for this day, thanking you for Resurrection, Resurrection Sunday and what it means the joy and the power that it has, Lord. We just ask that you help us to look inward, help us to focus on you, help us to see where we need to align our lives in the direction that you want us to go, Lord. As we partake of the cup and the bread today, we just say thank you for your promise that was laid out before us through this Easter season and through the days that come and the days that follow, Lord. We love you and thank you so much for what you do for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Stand all close to us. One day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as could be. 
Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men, my example is he. Came flesh and the light shined among us, his glory revealed. Living, he loved me, dying, he saved me, buried, he carried my sins far away, and rising, he justified. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day they led him up Calvary's mountain. One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected, bearing our sins, my Redeemer is He.
the second half of my sermon. <laughs> that, was, that was good. I saw Hara, and I saw more Hara. So I know you guys are getting hangry. So um, the 23rd Psalm talks about a table prepared before me. Josh and the company downstairs and a few people upstairs have prepared a table. Not quite God, but we're doing it in his, in his name. Oh, yeah, and there's a Sophia House dinner as well, right? Tuesday night, Tuesday night at Damascus Friends, right? Yeah, we're doing it with Sophia House. Okay. Come on. So community banquet next weekend. So if you need, uh, and what do you need again? Desserts. Bring all your desserts, and there's a door up at the top of the steps. So you can just leave them in there. Okay. Don't need a microphone. Well, Rachel says she'll call you. She doesn't use a phone. She just screams across town. All right. We're going to ask for a blessing for a meal, and we're going to invite everybody down to Fellowship Hall. Uh, we've got plenty of food. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have conversation with you. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we are grateful for what we've been able to experience these past few years because your glory has manifested itself in so many ways. Thank you, Father, for being faithful to us. And as we just celebrate the risen, the risen Savior, our Lord and King, our great high priest, we also thank you for just a simple meal that we are about to enjoy, for the richness that you bring to it as you bless us with it, and then in it, you bless our fellowship. So we invite you to that, Lord, as we seek your blessing and your, um, your presence in it, and we seek your blessing upon everybody here. And Lord, just bless everyone with grace and peace, and just sustain us in all that we have in Christ. And we pray this together as God's people said, amen.